It's the time, our game of the year. And some of yours. Hello, and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck. As always, alongside me is the one, the only, the boy. Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 192, our game of the year episode, where you guys can hang out and listen and find out what games we liked, and uh, I guess a coincidentally didn't like throughout this year. Um, and of course, if you want to hear more, find out at the end of the episode where you can join us for more episodes and uh, Discords, Twitters, Facebooks, all kind of cool stuff. But like normal, we're going to jump into the first segment of the podcast we always do, and that's what have we been playing? Brett? What have you been playing? Pretty much exclusively this week. I've tried to continue off and on for like a try or two to beat that level of a uh, little big, well, not little big planet, but sack boy. That is kind of like the last trophy I really need before I got to move into the multiplayer stuff. I've gotten further, but because I'm trying to keep myself from just being pissed at the game, I will try. I'll get a little bit further. And then if I die, I'm just like, I'm done for the night. I don't want to get mad. So I'll, I'll get a little bit further, put it down, play something else. And throughout the week, I didn't really know what I wanted to play. It kept kind of striking me at a weird time. And I literally sat there for about an hour looking through games like, what am I going to play? Just to not play anything and instead put on Waiting because it's on Netflix. And I was like, oh, I haven't watched that movie in a long time. The uh, Ryan Reynolds movie? Yeah. So, and Justin Long. But, yeah, so I ended up doing that and I was still kind of you know in this in-between. But since Cyberpunk was a Thursday release, I ended up getting cyberpunk due to my game share buddy and it worked out so that i could start it and play it now there's some good and bad with cyberpunk i think what's going on right now is that there's a little bit of i don't want to say that it is actually people overblowing a situation but i think that there is clearly at least some people that are doing that just to be part of the current discourse because i've heard a lot of people say it's completely unplayable on base consoles. And I've seen a lot of people say that, is it less than ideal in terms of the way they wanted it to run? Cause it runs at like 720p and a, you know, not necessarily a locked 30, but sometimes dipping down into like the mid twenties and low twenties, depending on exactly what's going on. But most people consider a bit, consider it playable or I'm going to say most, a lot of people I've, I've seen discuss and discussed with in real life in my, you know, IRL, as they say, it seems like while it doesn't run necessarily as they were hoping that it's still playable. So that's a weird thing. I'll say right now that my experience has been exclusively on PS five via backwards compatibility. And whenever you play the game on that, the game automatically runs at for me so far, a locked 60 frames per second. So performance is solid. That's the good. resolution is probably, I don't think it's a scaling resolution though. It could be a variable resolution. It's, at, it's at least 1080p. It might go up as much as 1440p, maybe. I don't think so. Uh, but that's what it automatically defaults to on PS5. It's performance mode. Uh, Series X automatically perf uh, goes to cinematic mode or whatever you want to call it, quality mode, and does it at, as close to 4K as it can get and at a pretty solid 30 frames per second. Though I'm fairly positive Series X does have the benefit of being able to switch to performance mode. And I think that that's because the Series X is backwards compatible with the One X version, which is a little bit better than the PS4 Pro version. Yeah. And the PS4 Pro version is what the PS5 is basing it off of. So all it's doing is letting those backwards compatibilities pump them further up to what they should be targeting. So 
keep that in mind. But I've been playing that, and I did run into an actual bug. I've had like little visual things that didn't end up really mattering, where there's a real early scene where you're putting a body on a stretcher for these people, and then they fly off in this air car. And the air car took off, and for like a frame, a single frame, you saw the bodies be left behind, and then they just disappeared back into the car. I thought you were going to say, like, the body, the, the plane disappeared, and then the bodies just flew away. No. So that was one. And as soon as I started the game in the bar that you start in, there was a phone that, depending on how I walked, would be floating in the air. Very small, very minor, and if you really weren't paying attention, you probably wouldn't have been to seen it. Yeah. So, like, was it like a person walking around with their phone out in the person? No, it was, was... literally just a phone oh, okay. floating in there, never moving. And and if I walked a certain way, it's like it would be obscured from the frame for some reason, right. and it would just disappear. But then if I'd walk more, it would pop back in. So that was one. And then I actually got to the real bug that stopped me in my tracks. There's an early quest called the Ripper Dock where you're introduced to like the people who do cybernetic implants and. Apparently, it's, it was a fairly common bug at day one where it stops. It can happen randomly in that quest. It doesn't happen every time. Where after you talk to the Ripper Doc, the quest just doesn't move forward. And it keeps asking you to talk to him, even though the only thing you can do is tell him you're going to pay him back. So it's almost like a uh, so it's soft a progression. Lock. Yeah, it was a progression soft lock. And a lot of people were saying that the game autosaves often, so you can just do an autosave beforehand and just keep trying until it lets you go through. Right. I tried, went home, uh, went back to work because I was playing on lunch. And then when I got home, I, there was a hot fix out by the end of the day. And I downloaded this 12 gigabyte patch and completely fixed every problem I'd had so far. Yeah, I saw, I saw that that had launched and it had fixed a lot of people's problems on the base PS4 specifically. Which is good. Yeah. Now, what I thought was odd about the hot fix is that it was only for PC and PS4. For some reason, Xbox is a little slower. They're saying that that one's going to come. It might, it might already be out by now. I've been very busy this weekend, so I haven't had time to look. But my experience with Cyberpunk has been fairly solid. And right now, you know, probably four to five hours in, I can say that they're doing a lot with the game. CD Projekt Red is. And I got to commend them for being ballsy. Excuse me. Enough to make a very huge change stylistically to what they did do. Instead of it being a big, wide open thing, they're making an area that's still fairly big, but it's a lot more vertical. Yeah. And... Changing how you're going to, you know, going from having a horse as your main form of faster transportation to having a car. There's a lot of choices they made that they didn't have to. They could have made, even if it wasn't The Witcher, they could have made any kind of fantasy RPG and probably would have sold gangbusters. True. But they chose to do something that means they had to make a whole lot of new systems for all the new stuff in the game. And so far, I think it does most of it well. I'm, I personally, this is like a mileage may vary thing based off of how you feel about first-person shooters. At 60 frames per second, too, that's part of it. I think the shooting feels pretty good. I'm actually quite surprised by how good the shooting feels. Not perfect necessarily, but I don't think I ever expected 100% perfect first-person shooting in an RPG game. It's kind of how I felt about Fallout 4 shooting. Fallout 4 shooting is actually fairly well. It's one of my favorite parts of the game compared to Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas where I always felt like the shooting was just kind of bad, but you just did it so you could experience the rest of the game. Whereas it was like the opposite in Fallout 4. I thought the rest of the game wasn't all that great, but at least the shooting was pretty good. But uh, yeah. So far, I'm enjoying it. So that's really all I've had time to play this weekend. I was going to play some more, but it's my wife's week and birthday weekend, so we've been doing a bunch of stuff she wanted to do. Went to Hot Springs yesterday. Oh, that's fun. Had a good time. So what have you, sir, been playing? Well, as of right now, Hades. Um, 
<laughs> fun little game. Uh, so here's the question. Is your laptop running at fine? I put it on 720, and it's running it at 60, which there is no settings for, like, frames per second ultra or anything like that. Well, no, it, it has V-Sync. Okay. Um, yeah. But there's not, like, ultra high or anything like that. So I threw it on 720, and it's running it fairly flawlessly. It doesn't look as that much worse. Um, but, yeah, I, I played that, and, of course, I played Destiny 2. Um, that's kind of just been it, though, this week. I actually was sitting here thinking earlier today. Um, I was watching... What movie was I watching? Oh, Seventeen again. I don't know if you've seen that movie. That's the one with um, Zach Efron and, and Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry. That's yeah. what I couldn't remember his name. Yeah, and I, that's, I personally love that movie. But um, never seen it. But I know what it is. Do that, you that's... like Thomas Lennon, the guy who is? Um, he's in a lot of stuff, but he's famous for being uh, uh, on Reno Nine One One. Oh, is he uh, Lieutenant Dangle? Yes. Yes, I love him, dude. He is in that movie, and he like that movie. Any movie he's in, it's like automatically better for me. Oh, I love him. Like he's, when he's, he's in "I Love You, Man," like in that movie, I love him in that movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I, I was watching that, and I was really wishing for something to play. But I, you know, I talked last week about my Retroid, and I'm not going to bring that up every week. But of course, I've been playing my Retroid uh, quite a lot. Yeah. And I was actually playing it while I was watching that movie. But um, still, haven't really turned on my PS4, or my Xbox. I think it's going to kind of stay that way until I get the PS5. Hopefully, this coming week. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, of course, I'll be jumping into Demon Souls. So I'm still kind of in a stagnant. It happens at the end of every gen. Just last gen, the PS3 happened to save me from boredom in that regards with, you know, Metal Gear Solid 4 and Demon Souls, Dark Souls 1 and 2. See, I think that that's kind of what got me the other day. That I wouldn't say it just kind of put me on my ass, but when I was sitting there and looking, I was like, why is the PS5 out? And yet I'm sitting here struggling to figure out what I want to play. And I didn't know, I was like, is it something up with me right now where I'm just not feeling it? Is it actually the industry right now? But I think it's. I think some of it is this feeling. I've had a little bit of motivation problems lately with most things I'm working on, mm-hmm. or, or even if it's like a hobby. Um, so I've been kind of fighting myself with that. But whenever I was looking there, I think I, I've had a little too much pressure on myself. And I, it's a dumb thing to even say, but it's true. I've been like, I'm going to get 100 Platinums this year. I'm going to get 100 Platinums this year. And I was yeah. just sitting there, and I was like, well, I'm kind of at a standstill on the, the Sackboy game, which I thought was going to be my next Platinum. Then I'm like, what do I want my next Platinum to be? So I'm going through every game I own on PS Plus. And I'm like, ah, just, I don't care. Going through every digital game I've bought on sale and haven't gotten around to. And I was like, I'm just not feeling any of it right now. And then I went to my Game Share Partners list and was kind of looking through his stuff. And I was like, I still don't see anything. So then I decided, like, out of a weird, I don't say desperation, but, like, maybe I can find something. I went to the PS Plus sale that was going on, and I started scrolling through, and I was like, there's just not a damn thing that looks interesting to me right now. What is going on? Yeah. And that's when I kind of just gave up, because I was like, if I keep doing this, I don't even know if I'm going to depress myself further, because I'm like, why don't I know what I want to play? I think for me, it's a, it's a lesson I've learned in particular with this gen, and that is that... If I don't feel like playing video games, I'm not going to force it. If I don't feel like playing something, I'm not going to force it because I feel like that is just that much more motivation to get burnt out. Or not even motivation, but that's just much more of a consequence of getting burnt out. So that's why, like, if I don't feel like playing something, I won't. I, I, I will intentionally ignore it. So, like, Ghost of Tsushima... It was not exactly getting kind of stale, but I got to the point of like, actually me and Brennan talked about this with Ghost. 
I got to the point where I wasn't motivated to keep playing, but and when I would start playing the game, I'd be like, this is really good, but I don't have motivation outside of actually playing the game to play the game. And it's yeah, weird. We talked about this on our order thing where, where it, I, it was similar. It's not maybe exactly what you're talking about, but it's still a part of that similar feeling where uh, Chris was talking about with the order. He's like, the first day that he was playing, he kept, he messaged me and was like, dude, this is really good. He's like, I'm surprised. He didn't have high expectations because he got it for like five bucks. So, and it's old. So he's like, okay. And then I was asking him uh, like uh, three or four days had gone by and I was basically, he started before I did. And then I was about to be done with it. And he said, you know, I've not played it. And I said, oh, he's like, yeah, it's just one of those things where like when I'm playing, I'm like, oh, this is great. But the moment I turn it off for whatever reason, you just have no, will. he's like, I don't think about the game. So he's like, the only reason I really came back with it to finish so we could talk about it here. He's like, I'm glad I did. And I'm glad that I had the, an outward motivation to kind of tie myself because by the end he thought it was worth it. But that is a weird thing where sometimes you're playing something and the whole time you're playing, you're like, you know, why don't I play this? This is pretty cool. Then you stop and then you don't touch it for two weeks three yeah weeks, or even for me or maybe months with ghost i was like playing it every day but i was just like i guess i'll play ghost again like it wasn't like oh i can't wait to get home and play ghost it, it was, was more like you're falling back on ghost yeah and i think honestly like um that but that day's gone had a similar effect on me but at the same time i could easily play those games but like why when i went when the ps5 they play both better on the ps5 sure. and it's just you know i wasn't super far into ghost i was still on the first island and I feel like just restarting the game on PS5 will give me more motivation to play it again. Um, after I'm done with Demon Souls, of course, because that'll be a good 40 to 60 hours, um, I reckon. But but yeah, it's just this weird, like, I don't want to burn myself out, so I, don't, I won't play. Like, I've gotten to the point in Destiny 2, like, where I'm, I'm at a pretty good power cap, in my opinion. I'm 1266, 1270, somewhere in that range, depending on my character and my gear. And unless that we're doing a raid or whatever, there's no reason for me to really hop on. Like it just, I feel like there's, you know, unless I want to play with some buddies like we did last night. Um, we did, uh, a deep zone crip run, which was like 45 minutes. And we, me and Joe played iron banner. And it's just one of those things. I like, it was, it's fun, but you know, I could be doing anything else. See, I think that that's the thing with Destiny that got me. So, you know, I kept talking about how I just had no motivation to play Destiny. And I think it's this feeling of, if I want to start playing Destiny, definitely now. But even back when the thing first came out and I wasn't that behind, like even before Shadowkeep. You know, I could have come back to Shadowkeep and y'all had already kind of been playing, but I was pretty close to the level cap. So I wouldn't have been that far behind. And I could have probably played with you and caught mostly up with you. But there's always that feeling of like, Destiny's fun to me as long as I'm playing with other people. Right. But because other people are going to sometimes play without me, there's going to be some need for me to actually continue playing on my own. And I don't want to play that game on my own at all. I just don't care. I don't want to do it. Now that might change if the game feels a little bit better or if the new update which is does out. something, which I know the, the, the PS five versions out. So yeah. I know it will feel better. I don't know if that'll be enough to motivate me to play it on my own. I don't know if the new content and beyond light. Also, I learned that, you can't get the season pass. It doesn't transfer, but the DLC itself transfers. So right now I own beyond light because of game pass. I'm game sharing. Oh, that's cool. So I can't hop in and I'm probably going to just to see what it runs on, uh, what it runs on PS five. But I still am in this point where I don't feel like I'm going to be motivated to play it because I feel like it's something that's only fun to me when I'm playing with other people. 
And so it's kind of like you mentioned, you're not going to play it unless you're all getting together to do yeah. something, but you're also at a good spot where you're pretty close to the level cap right mm-hmm. now. You're in a comfortable spot where you can hop in and not be bringing everyone down and you can just play when it's fun for you. Right. Whereas the thing I was running into too, with not knowing what to play is I think I had this thing where that's, this is a negative side of trophy hunting is I'm not as dedicated as some to where I just want to platinum every single thing I play because I don't want to platinum something unless I would enjoy platinuming it. That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. But I think I get into this thing where since I've been putting on pressure on myself to hit 100 and I've gotten a lot of platinums in the last month, you know, leading up to playing Sackboy, I think I was looking at every game less from a would I have fun playing it, which it was still there because I won't. I won't play a game just because it's easy platinum. That's why I don't have My Name is Mayo, My Name is Mayo 2, Mr. Masagi, any of the super quick platinums. If I, if, even if it's an easy, quick platinum, I at least want it to be fun. And that's why I like a lot of those Rattalaika games because there's plenty of those that despite me getting them for free or buying them on sale, I'll play them. And if I don't like them, even though I could play for 10 more minutes and get a platinum, I just don't do it because I don't want to do that. But I was approaching every game from that thing of, Less about whether I was just going to enjoy the fun and have a good experience and more of what are the chances that in playing that I would get, I would go for the platinum. And then I was letting, if I'm not going to go for the platinum, just don't even worry about it. And that was kind of ruining it for me. See, that's why I stopped. That's why I stopped trophy hunting because I'm normally not that bad. I, well, see, it started <laughs> to get that bad for me where I was like, I don't want to play this game because I know I'll never get the platinum and therefore I don't want to play it. Yeah. Well, now it's like, I still will get a platinum if I thoroughly enjoy the game. Like Hellblade, I got the platinum in it. I wasn't even trophy hunting then because I thoroughly enjoyed Hellblade. Sure. Um, and it's a it's a natural platinum it for is. the most part. Yeah, I, I like the natural platinums. Um, but like the thing is, is like I will I will see about getting the Demon Souls platinum. Um, it just depends on if it's like Dark Souls three where I have to play the game three times or something. You have oh, to collect all rings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, I knew that's. That that normally is not a big ordeal. It's just I I'm not motivated to do so. Sure. I don't know. That's the weird thing about and I don't know if I'm running into this thing of having too much on my plate too, so I'm almost like overstimulated to where I'm not having like even though I'm having a good time with Cyberpunk, I've even had a little bit of that like I don't know if I even want to play right now. Would I just rather sit here and relax and watch something passively and give myself a time period to just sit and not stimulate myself? Yeah. But I've also been, you know, we got the EP coming out next Friday. So I've been doing a bunch of work on that. We're starting work on new music. And I guess right now I'm a little more into that than I am anything else. So I think that's the other thing is I almost feel like right now I might be, I don't know for sure, I might be gaming just because I feel like it's part of who I am and I'm supposed to be doing it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that, I mean, I'm, of course, one of those people. It doesn't matter how much you think something is of yourself. If you just don't want to do it, then. Don't, don't do, do it. it. Yeah. Or if you don't, if you think you don't want to do it, and you try, and then you are like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't want to do this," and just quit. Just stop for a second and be like, "Take a week off. Take a take the day off. Whatever it be. Maybe you'll go to work or wake up on that Saturday and be like, you know what? I'm feeling like gaming right now, and you'll just do it." It's weird because I don't even consider Destiny to a game. I consider it more of like a social interaction. Yeah, sure. And, and I think that's what's weird about those games is they transcend the. It's less about it being a game and more about ah, I'm about to get on and bull crap around with my friends yeah and even then it's like when we're doing the raid it's like once you learn the raid it's kind of like well it's this is this is now going to be stimulating because you're doing raid like activities you're doing the the raid which has puzzles in it that requires you to think you're not just running through a strike kind of numb-minded not really thinking about the game at hand yeah um which i like but um 
We have two communities takes this week, but before that, we're going to get into our sponsor for the episode. That's Manscaped. Have you ever wanted to be super fresh down there? Have you ever wanted to be super clean? <laughs> ever want some comfy clothes, like some nice boxers and a nice t-shirt? Well, I'll tell you what, Manscaped has you covered. You can head on over to manscaped.com and use SQRD, our discount code, save 20% off and get free shipping. Not only is it going to make you clean and make you feel better, but hey, these make great Christmas gifts. Give one to your brother. That's why we have them under the tree right now. Give one to your father. Hey, you know what? Give your significant other the gift of a clean sack under the Christmas tree. Truly, it's leather, and it's, it's very nice. I just imagine like the the wife or husband, whatever it be, walking downstairs and then just like, or I don't know why I picture this in a two-story house, but it's like the old Christmas movies where for some reason the family's always had two-story houses. You ever think about that? It is, yeah. All so those, there's always going to be the stairs, and you got to go down the stairs to see the tree with everything well, it's, underneath It's it. also super depressing, too, because it's like these people in like these movies that were made like 90 and like 95 and 96, 97, 98, 99, they're all living houses I know I'll, be, I'll never be able to afford <laughs> nowadays. Like if you look at the Home Alone house, that, that house probably cost $2 million. Yeah, I thought about that too. The Home Alone house always comes to mind, but so does the, the house in um, The Christmas Story or A Christmas Story. Uh, you think about that. That's actually a fairly nice house. Yeah, for, it's, for it's, of it's, course, way back in, like yeah. the, what, 50s or whatever? Well, 84. The, I'm talking about the storyline. Yeah. The house is supposed to be a house in, like, the was it the 50s or 60s or something like that? I think it was 54. But regardless, yeah, I, I just imagine, like, you know, her walking down, him walking down, it doesn't matter who it is, with, like, a sleeping mask on, just sitting on top of their head, still kind of covering their vision, and they look under, and then their significant others just under the tree in like a Burt Reynolds pose with a sack just clean as a whistle. It was 1940, before Hitler. Huh. Wow. Anyways. <laughs> but yeah, head over there. <laughs> head over there and use our discount code, like I said. Get you something nice. Get you something sweet for Christmas. Yeah. And at the same time, help support the channel. Your balls will thank you. Yep, manscaped.com, code SQRD. 20% off. Free shipping. That's their holiday sale, but you know, if you're going to do it anyway, support the show. You know what I mean? Let them know that we sent you there and that you love us because you know we love you. And it could be permanent sponsors, you know? Like, this is a trial run. Don't let, them, don't let us fail. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to head over into that community stake. And the community stake this week was kind of broken up into two. We wanted to get a feel for what you guys thought about last week. Uh, you know, our topic being, what do we want... And therefore, what do you want out of the next generation? Which we're kind of just saying PS5, Xbox Series X. But of course, that goes through potentially what Nintendo will do, what PC is going to continue to do. Uh, so what do you want out of this generation in general? And then the other part of that was about the game of the year. But we're going to answer the first part of the question. We got a lot of them here. Mr. Josh Ayers, one of our longtime patrons, longtime listeners, good friend. He says, just stellar games to continue and not have to wait six years from announcement to release. And I'm going to go ahead and kind of spoil. I'm, I'm proud that this is the answer because I think it does say a lot about games being the most important part of any kind of thing. And more often than not, I think that people tend to lose sight of that when through online discourse with people they don't know. But when you're really talking with people you do know, it does come down to games are the most important part. But I think the more imp the, the thing I like about this is outside of this, the games, there is a big thing that this generation continued from the PS3 generation, which is announcement, and then not seeing that game anywhere from four to six years after announcement. Yeah, for whatever reason it be. So I know that that was a big one. Saw himself. That's my biggest pet peeve <laughs> of this generation that I hope doesn't continue on. 
do you, did I don't know if you saw completely, but one of the probably best things that I've seen, and this is probably the only time that Square has actually done this, where they you know they announced Project Athia without a name, and right. both of us immediately groaned because history would tell us that this is just them repeating the same problems they've had before. Especially Square, of all yeah. people, you don't trust Square when they put out release trailers or or, or trailers without release dates because it could be two years, it could be seven, or you, you know. Like Final Fantasy 13 versus. It could never even happen and get turned into Final Fantasy 15. Ten years later, almost. Ten years later. <laughs> Actually, when did 15 come out? 16 or 17? 16. That was like a le- that was like 10 years after. Because I think it got announced in 05 or 06 as 13 versus. God, that's so bad. But, uh, you know, the I don't know if you saw it, but they had that new games that are coming up thing that PlayStation put out. It was like a trailer. They showed a bunch of games in its rough release window and gave a little bit more information. Like Gran Turismo 5 looks like it's going to be a PS5 exclusive and not come to PS4. It's 2006. Yeah, so 10 years. I think it oh. came in 17. So I think it was an 11-year wait between announced. Was it 2017? That is crazy. Man, that is crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm about 99% sure that Final Fantasy 15 was 17. No, it was 2016. Very late November. Yeah, that's why. Because okay. okay, so I bought that game at launch with Battlefield One. Ooh. Okay. So I I knew I knew it, it like and and I think Resident Evil Seven had just come out. Oh, now that you mention it, you're right because it was when I first moved back into the game room when it was completed. But Project Athia was in that, and it it confirmed two things. Right before Resident Evil 7 came out. We already knew that Project Athea was a PlayStation console exclusive. Not a exclusive. It's still on PC. But it's going to be console exclusive for at least 24 months. Which we, we, we thought Final Fantasy 13 Versus was console exclusive. Well, technically, it was exclusive. Not well, even on well, PC. That's what I say. We thought. But it didn't ever happen. So it yeah. didn't matter. Um, I'm almost surprised that because they turned that into 15, that 15 didn't see an exclusivity window. Just as they like, hey, yeah. this was always meant to be. But regardless, it's exciting to see new gameplay for Project Athia or Athia, whatever it's called. So my hope is, and it looked like gameplay. It doesn't mean it was, but it looked like gameplay in the same sense of when they showed gameplay for Final Fantasy 16, which I do think was clearly gameplay. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm liking that. So my hope here, and this is probably one of the answers, is that Square has learned their lesson. <laughs> About not talking about stuff entirely too early. You want to pull another one over off of uh, of either Discord or I have pay, th- or, or Twitter. I actually have three on Twitter, and they all hit the same nail on the head. Very similar to Josh, um, but our good longtime buddy Jahudi MD. He says games, games, and games built on the last gen or past gen legacy. Um, which I think we're all anticipating because this past year has built up games that I could definitely see as a foreshadowing to next gen or this current gen, I guess. And so, how does, how do you mean so? Like just the quality, see, the level of games quality that are going to become series, or do you mean be, more of like indicative of what to expect? It could be series. It could just be the, the the level of quality that we got from certain developers, like Bend. Sure. Whether that's Days Gone Two or just the next game having higher quality of launching, um, it's something that I think will be interesting to see. And constantly, Kenny, one of our also longtime buddies, he says, fun and engaging games. I don't have high expectations. I just want to have a good time. Good answer. And I think that that's very in the same vein. And, you know, it's just one of those things that's 
w- this past gen has built a legacy of great first party games and i think that that's an important piece of context to carry forward into this next gen and i think we've already started seeing it with games like bug snacks demon souls Sackboy's Big Adventure. Which, to be fair, I guess some of that's like second party because Bugsnax Bugsnax is is second party. eh, I mean, it's kind of not because it's not exclusive. It's still on PC. Right. But I think it still comes to the point of, and I just want to be sure, anybody who's answering this, we're not trying to take your answer as you specifically want better PS4 games. We don't talk about games in general or even not necessarily Sony games. You're talking about third party games included. But I do agree with, and I get why it's easy to kind of go there. One thing that this gen is really hammered home, even though there's been a ton of also great third party releases is that there has been specifically on PlayStation, just a wealth of really well received and well regarded and not just received by consumers, but also for the most part, the media, even though you have games like days gone that I think completely, blew what the media expected based off of their reviews, blew it out of the water. I don't think anybody thought that Days Gone was going to be a smash success like it ended up being because a lot of the reviews were kind of in that like 70s and 80s, which was an outlier at the time yeah. for a PlayStation exclusive. Um, and, you know, just kind of like what you just said about it doesn't have to be games, specifically PlayStation. Mark Schultz nails that home because he says, I just want some games to enjoy. I don't care what console they appear on. And that's that's it right there. Like I think that this gen has set a precedent that is the quality of games can only get better. And if they're not, we can't. You can't allow console or not console uh, game manufacturers or end game companies and studios to take that step back. We need to hold held them accountable for stuff like that. Which is why I think mm-hmm. Cyberpunk is getting hit so hard. Is because sure. especially if you own a base PS4, you know that game should not have been launched for that. Well, it it In kind of it, it brings back the and I've seen a lot of memes about it, but it really does bring back the Skyrim thing and how games I think as a whole have gotten so much better this gen from a quality bar. And I think it's important to say that when we say quality, we don't necessarily mean like graphical fidelity or anything like this. Like a perfect example of that is Hollow Knight. There's nothing about Hollow Knight when just looking at it that you just see and go, that's clearly a better game than this game. But what it comes down to is when you play Hollow Knight, there's a quality to the little bit of writing that builds out that world. There's a quality to the level design that's very specific and continues to make you wonder what's next. There's, you know, great quality put into the way that combat works and the way that music interacts with everything. Excuse me, the experience as a whole. So quality is a very interesting word because it really is all encompassing. But I think a lot of people think of quality and they're like, I want to see a game that immediately makes me think this is what I bought next gen for. When I, if I'm being honest, I want to see so much more just like I do from the first parties. That is clearly important, but I think I want to see so much more hollow Knight, And mm-hmm. I mean, hollow Knight as more of an idea of developers coming together to make something great. Uh, but where I was originally trying to go with that, and I think I may have lost it a little bit, but you have this thing where quality ends up being mixed around with that, and people end up kind of forgetting that we're at a point to where you don't have to... It, it's You shouldn't be worried about having to tell people, hey, here we are, this is the new level of quality that we expect from you. Because it does feel weird to take a step back when quality can mean so much more than worrying about what the game looks like. You know, we just want solid performance no matter what you choose to look at. 
and just hammer that home. And going back to that Skyrim conversation, how that comes in, I think that the reason that this kind of calls back to that Skyrim question is at the time, a lot of PS3 games and 360 games were fairly buggy, and very few of them were on the scale of Skyrim. So when Skyrim comes out and it's pretty buggy, certainly on PS3, I think it got a pass in a way that Cyberpunk is not getting because the level of quality as a whole has risen so much as a, for, across the majority of this gen that it feels weird to get a game of this level of bugginess. Whereas if Cyberpunk as a project and as a thing released at the same time on PS3 as something like Skyrim did, it would have gotten the pass of, and it, it doesn't mean it's not true here too, but it would have really gotten the pass of nothing even remotely close to this exists. So we've got to give a little bit more of a window of forgiveness and that's why games that are fairly broken, like um, Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, they're very buggy games, but people remember them fondly because at the time they were so unique. Yeah. And while Cyberpunk is unique, it's not unique in the fact that there's a ton of games out there with really big worlds like Red Dead 2 that show that you can have this style of world and this level of detail and not be what Cyberpunk is in terms of quality. Good Lord, what are we looking at here? It's just that picture, and then you're like, what is this? And then you click on it, and then... Are those pigs? No. Oh, God. <laughs> it's clay. <laughs> Anyways, oh, God. Um, uh, that just threw me so far off. Me too, uh, good. In a very similar way for what we've been talking about, one of our other good buddies on Discord, Sean, he says... Just excellent gaming experiences, which we had on the PS4. Maybe a bit more variety in Sony's first-party epics, too. That is a nail that needs to be hit with a, a jackhammer, because I want to see Sony come back with a AAA third- and first-person shooter game, as well as something wacky, crazy, kooky, like a puzzle-style game in the form of like, uh, or not a puzzle style game, a strategy style game in the form of like War of the Lions. I want to see them come back with these exclusives that they haven't had in a long time. Like when, yeah. was, the, when was the last time they had a first a first person exclusive? A first person shooter? Yeah. Killzone Shadowfall? Yeah, that the beginning of yeah, PS4. Beginning of PS4. Yeah. And that was like that leftover of PS3, you know? Which, I'll give them some credit, right? We had Knack. And regardless how you feel about it, my point is that Knack showed that they were willing to let a first-party studio make a platformer. Yeah. Awesome. And a platformer of a AAA quality, basically, for the most part. Then we saw Knack 2, so they were clearly willing to continue that. Then we saw Astro's Rescue Mission for VR, which showed, again, that at least on a slightly different thing, they were willing to do it. Then we see them come back with, I think PS5 has been a strong start of them doing different stuff because we have Destruction Derby All-Stars coming. Yeah. And regardless of whether it's a good game right now, the main thing that we're looking at is something different than what Sony's been doing. Destruction Derby All-Stars is a good example of that. Uh, doing a, sack, a new Sackboy game in the way that they did and even shaking it up to something Sackboy's never done where it's more of a 3D platformer. Great. Astrobots. Astros, uh, yeah, Astros uh, being a pack-in game yeah. is a really great game. Then you have, even though it's through a thing, it still shows that they're looking at this and wanting to do console exclusives in this way. You have, um, it's not second party, but timed exclusive with Godfall. Again, regardless of quality, it's a different game for them to be exclusive. On the horizon, we have two first-person games coming up with the exclusives of Ghost... Um, Ghostwire Tokyo, that's what it's called. And that's exclusive for a, for a full year. That's another thing that video put out. Then we have Deathloop, right. which is also first person. And these are the kind of games that 
because they're going to be exclusive for a whole year, it's going to be like Final Fantasy, where when you think of it, you think of PlayStation, even if it eventually goes elsewhere. When you think of Death Stranding, even though it's on PC, you, you, think, you of think of PlayStation. Yeah. So that's a good thing. And if I think Death Stranding is, is even though it's in a lot of ways similar to the, the Sony thing, I think Death Stranding was quite a big breakout for them in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So Sony, I think, is working on it, but... It, it's less about what you do at the beginning of the generation and more about how you follow through. Because if you follow the beginning of PS4 generation, you thought we'd have first-person shooter exclusives the whole gen <laughs> if they were going to keep that going. And you thought we would have had more platformers than we did and kept that going. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a big one, too. And I guess we are, you know, to be fair, we are always talking about bigger budget games because I think that we'd be remiss to not talk about things like Concrete Genie, uh, Genie which are 100% Sony-made games and original that are smaller and that's good i'm glad that they exist yeah um rude days this is a good one this is a good one because he says one for sony i want to see them improve their ecosystem and services especially ps now for its price ps now isn't bad but in comparison to games pass it's terrible not marketed games being quickly rotated and not having the ability to buy games off PS now until your sub expire is ridiculous. I will say that is ridiculous. I think you should be able to buy any game regardless of your sub, your subscriptions or not. Um, but he says for Xbox games, 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 and also games, their ecosystem is there. It just needs the content, which I also agree. I think that they have a fine, you know, I think the way Microsoft does things, and the way Sony does things, that if you combined them, there would be it'd be the perfect gaming company. But they just do two things so differently. Um, but I agree, games or games. Uh, I was gonna say GameStop, but yeah, Xbox needs the games. Um, they do. I think on PS Now, I agree that PS Now does need to get better. But I also think that looking at what PS Now has is now versus what it's come from. If you look at when they made the change and how long they've been around, which has been about a year of it being the way it's been, they're making really big strides. They're doing a good job of putting games on there, eventually rotating them off, but then putting them back on for good. A good example of that is Horizon Zero Dawn was put on as one of the first big games, and it was Horizon Zero Dawn's, um, what do you call it, Ultimate Edition, Complete Edition. That's what it is. And that went off. But now, if you look for PS Now this month, it's actually a permanent edition. Whereas originally it was a temporary edition. So they are rotating games and then coming back when they make sense for them to put on completely. And I do think that they probably didn't put Horizon on PS Now from the get-go because they wanted to see how it would perform on PC. And you can get people to play it on PC for a little bit before you take it off and then get them interested in it. Then get PC people to actually buy the game since PS Now is a PC service as well. Right. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it is marketed, but not nearly as much as Games Pass, though I do think that that's part of what makes Game Pass hard to be profitable, whereas PS Now has been profitable for Sony for some time, which is surprising, I know, but it's it's there. It's what it is. Uh, I'm glad that they priced themselves down in PS Now. So they're taking the steps there, and I think that they're doing a good thing. But just like PS Plus, I don't get why it takes someone having to point out that you can't buy the games for them to fix it. They fixed it for PS Plus, as far as I can remember. So PS Now should be on the list. You shouldn't not be able to buy a game just because it's on PS Now. I think what it should be given is PS Now is the first option, and then it has a little circle beside it that says more options. And when you click it, it goes to the version that you can buy if you just want to buy it. Yeah. And if they would if they would be smart, I think it would also be cool, and developers would clearly love it, and publishers, if they made it to where if you have PS Now and you go to buy a game that's on that service, you get a discount. 
Even, yeah. even if it's ten percent. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, your subscription's worth more than that discount. So, yeah. and you're going to like they lose the money. Yeah. yeah. So that actually that actually is a pretty good point. I never thought of. Yeah. So that would be really cool. Um, I'm I am very interested to see where it goes. I do think that they've done a good job at keeping games on for longer periods, though the quality just kind of depends on what you like. So, because yeah. there's a lot more games on PS Now as a whole, but. If you don't like any of those games, then it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? That's true, yeah. So, and then it is, you got to always point out that even though there's like 300 PS4 games that you can download, it, it may not be that much. It's very close to that, though. And whereas Games Pass is always right under 100, but it's more like a curated list. Like we're always going to make sure we have games that are highly regarded or new games that are very promising. I bet if you took out most of like the garbage games, the arcade games that nobody plays and all the other games on PS Now that are part of PlayStation, you'd probably have closer to like 150 like the, good yeah, like like yeah. quality games. I'm not going to say good games, but of quality because there is a lot uh, a lot of like just filler. Yeah, there. and a lot of PS Now is also really great games that are PS3 and so you have to stream them. Yeah. Which I've talked to a couple of people lately who've been using it, and my experience has always been good, too. And there's people that are playing games they missed from PS3, Jim, and having a good time on PS Now with them. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm not surprised because my experience has been good, but I'm glad that my experience seems to be matching other people's. But PS Now and Xbox Game Pass and seeing how much they grow either more similar or how much they define themselves more uniquely, but still hopefully be both good services will be a fun thing to watch this gen. And something else fun to watch this gen, because I am also concerned about this. B-Rog on Discord says, I would love to see more games take advantage of the dual motion controller's capabilities. I played Astro's Playroom and loved the different things the controller would do. And that is something I fear. I, without a shadow of doubt, have that Sony's first-party studios will incorporate stuff for that. But second and third parties to do a little bit of extra engineering work and see if they can incorporate that as well would be cool even though i did hear that the new call of duty cold war has it that you're every supposedly uh every single trigger pull on every gun is different. feels different yeah that's also true so far of the guns i've moved through on warframe interesting warframe is in there yeah Warframe's PS5 version was the first shooter I've played with it, and it blew my mind. Like whenever I, because I'd been playing the PS4 version, but when the PS5 update hit and I did it, I need to see if Destiny did that. I I was immediately surprised. I highly doubt Bungie did that. Um, Yeah, I'm gonna do one more on this one, and then we're gonna go through the game of year one. But I find this one so interesting. It's pretty long. One of our patrons, Kyle Grimm, he says, "How awesome would it be to have a next gen GTA where you have to you have the normal GTA atmosphere, but have to play daily to build your character in a Sims slash Animal Crossing like fashion, growing your character, having to eat, work out, go to work, or be part of a gang and live in the chaotic world online with endless possibilities, even with whatever story they throw our way in the main story, allowing some of those loose or some of those possibilities in that as well." would be the game of a lifetime for me, a virtual life GTA beyond what's already offered in the GTA online. Now I never got off into it and would feel like it would be too late to start now, but I know the game doesn't offer the extended style I'm mentioning anyway. It could be a pain for some people because of having to play on a daily basis, but I don't think a game like that you could not play daily. I'm also looking forward to another week before I finally can indulge in these games and hibernate for the winter, which he's mentioned a few times. He's going to have a time where he can really pound away at some games. That's me next week. So I like how he basically just described PlayStation Home, 
mixed with that GTA Online for PC mod. The art, the uh, the uh, oh, what is it called? Five. Uh, what is it? Oh my gosh, it's something five. It's a role play mod for those that don't know. Yeah, and it means that you walk around and you take on the life of basically a normal citizen, and people can do whatever they want. Five M. Okay, and if I'm not mistaken, just to kind of hammer home into his point, I remember when you were kind of doing it and then watching a lot of videos about it in that all cops in the game are real players. Are real players. All Driving around in cops' car. Paramedics, real, real players. players. So this is kind of what you're talking about, and I love that, that idea too, even though it's a game that I don't know, actually, Kyle, if you would have to play it daily, but I think it would be a thing where if you didn't play it, then you'd come back to your character being weakened. It's kind of like Animal Crossing, where it's not going to force you to keep playing it. But if you come back after months of not doing it, your island's going to be trashed. And you're yeah. going to do a lot of work to get it back up to work. So if you're kind of mentioning what you're talking about, you're going to have money that's been gone because you've been having to pay for your house and stuff. You lost you're your job because you didn't go to work? Exactly. You're going to have lost your job. You're going to have lost muscle mass or maybe even weight if you were fat. So it could be a good thing. But you can pull all of that into it. And that would be really interesting. Uh, I've often said that I'm surprised that consoles have never really had a game, which even though it wasn't quite this, it's never ha- they've never had a game on consoles quite like Second Life. Second think, Life was weird, too. I think the, the closest I may have seen in Second Life is something like PlayStation Home, where it was the idea of almost having a game that was a lot like The Sims, but then you could just go walk around and be with people and do stuff together. And it didn't quite have the back-end stuff, but it was still close. So, yeah, that would be really interesting. But that is a very specific wish. And I'm glad that you had it. Um, But there was plenty of others. All of you, I appreciate y'all coming through, but we only have so much time. So uh, it's my wife's birthday. We got to get through recording by a specific time. So the community's take for the game of the year, I think we're going to go ahead and kind of run through a couple of those so we can get into our personal discussion, but kind of get a feel for where all of you are. So bouncing back around to Mr. Mark Schutz on, um, on, Twitter, he says, Game of the Year-wise, I'm going obscure and saying Disaster Report 4. Love that sort of game, even if it looks like arse. Oh, crap. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark. I always thought there was an L in your name. I always said Schultz. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's easy to want to say that. Oh, shuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Mark, I'll get it right next time. I promise. Ask Josh Ayers. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what this is. Is this like a... Um, is this like a novel, a visual novel? Let me see. Disaster. Or is this more like a deadly premonition style game? Is this a... Hold up. This is a PS2 game. Well, I mean, it's a series from PS2. I don't know. This is interesting, though. It looks... I'm getting it a almost little, looks like Evil Within vibes with the buildings. A little bit, but I, I don't... And maybe I'm wrong because I've never actually played it. Um... But I'm getting a little bit of Deadly Premonition vibes. I'm definitely going to have to look at the gameplay of this because I can't tell what kind of game this is. Look at that, Mark. Oh, God, that's a good-looking game. See, I don't... I don't which maybe look there's at a, that. Yeah, but so maybe there's a reason, but it doesn't look bad to me. I, this could be a very well-cut trailer, though. You know what I mean? It could be, yeah. To be fair. Oh, I it's also a PSVR game. Word. It's a survival game. That, wow. guy looks, that guy looks like he works at Whataburger. Look at his look at his shirt, Whataburger. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's interesting. Thanks, Mark. I think you just put us on something. And actually, while we're kind of doing this, I think this is a great time to set the stage of what we're doing here. 
I think everyone puts a little too much stock into this feeling of game of the year and definitely the game awards one. Cause people seem to act like it's going to be the, the game of the year. Like there can only be one. The reality of this all is, is that game of the year is a very personal thing. And when you take something that's very personal and you blow it up to something where people can put input in, then what you're trying to do is roughly find an objective way to dis- determine what a, a, an objective game of the year could be. But the thing is, is that there is no one game of the year. Even what we're talking about today, the truth is, is that pretty much nobody gets to play every single game that comes out in a year. So this is our best approximation off of what we've played, including you guys, to what game struck you the most and gave you the feeling that it was your game of the year. And that's what we're doing today. So everything listed, even if you think it's a bad game, doesn't matter because whoever is that's saying it clearly had a great time with it and it said something to them. You know, I would have never thought looking back that back when it came out in what, 2013, 2014, whatever it was that rune factory four would have been one of my all time favorite games, but it is. And that's the world we live in. So, uh, I'm going to go grab one off of Facebook since I, I missed out on some of those for the other answer. And we have Allie Diane Coble saying, I really loved final fantasy seven, but I can't say how much of that was actually from a purely nostalgic reason. And that's a really weird answer because it's true. I think a lot of people are very hyped on Final Fantasy VII because of the fact that they played it in the past. But I also think you have a lot of people who are really hyped on Final Fantasy VII because they've never played it and had this version built in their head of what it's supposed to be. And when you don't know much about a game, but you kind of have that, I think Final Fantasy VII Remake did a really good job of, I think, building what a lot of people imagine in their heads more than the actual original game because when you're hearing about a game you didn't play years and years ago you're thinking about it in your brain in a more modern you know aspect anyway so you're probably imagining in your head with higher quality 3d graphics if someone doesn't explicitly tell you it's turn-based you're probably going to be thinking it's more real-time because that's more common for today's gameplay yeah so depending on when you're hearing about this game and how much you've loved it that game may have done a good job of matching what you'd built up in your head but that's up for grabs depending on who you are. Yeah, I can agree to that. Um, let's see. Jason Clendenning said Ghost of Tsushima, which is one I expect to see often. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, you want to go grab some off of Twitter real quick? Yeah, I was going to say uh, one on Discord is uh, our good buddy Sean Root again. He, uh, or Root Cold. He says uh, another one I expect to see often, and that's Last of Us 2. He said, I had to see how the game played out, and it felt the most big budget title that I've ever played. I'm really looking forward to replaying it in the Platinum at some point. So yeah, I like his beginning sentences. The game that engrossed me the most. Yeah, not not exactly like that doesn't always imply his favorite game, but the one that sucked the most out of him to play. Yeah, and I think that that's actually going to hammer kind of close to me talking more about that game in the long run because I think it's a really interesting example. And as you saw, a lot of people were divided about the fact that at the Game Awards, it won Game of the Year and a bunch of other stuff. So clearly it's a divisive game. We've known that for a long time, and I knew that was only going to get stirred back up once every individual outlet's Game of the Year starts coming back up. So it's just what it is, man. Uh, I'm I'm actually a little excited to talk about that game because it's a very interesting case. Jeff Keighley was paid off by Neil, <laughs> did, did you did you see right before he did it that Neil had put a credit card up to the camera and then slid it out? <laughs> that would actually be crazy. And then like the, the it glitched and showed money going into his bank account. And he's like, ah, yes, no, I will I, give you game of the year. What happened was Neil Druckmann mailed the, his locks of hair, hair? <laughs> to Jeff Keeley as as the payment. I knew where you were going as soon as you started. <laughs> 
That man looks so much better with this right here. Okay, let's see. I'm going to go grab one off of Facebook again. So we've got Kyle Grimm again. Hey. His is another long answer, but it is what it is. He says, my personal game of the year so far, excluding the many games I haven't yet, would have to be The Outer Worlds. I love the gameplay and how simple the game was. Far too often, RPG-style games offer too many gear crafting opportunities or options that can be overwhelming. Now, this one's weird, Kyle. I think what's going to run into a weird thing is this is you giving a game that you played this year, but I think The Outer Worlds was late last year. So yeah. Saul will, will confirm. Okay, so I'll, I'm going to break the rules. But it I'm came gonna, out on Switch this year. So I'm just going to say... I'm just going to say that like game of the year could just be whatever game you played that year. The whatever. Game. Yeah, I don't yeah, care. I don't care. I don't want to put rules on this. <laughs> because that's what's funny is that a couple of people actually mentioned games that they played this year that actually outpaced other games. Well, and I looked up the disaster report, and I think it said that that came out in... Um, is it called a disaster report? What was yeah, disaster called? report four. Uh, I think it said it came out in 2018. According to Google, it says initial release date was 20, November 22nd, 2018. Maybe it's maybe it's recently come to Xbox or something because Mark is a Mark is more often than not an Xbox player. But this says so. I'm not sure. I, this is this is what threw me off earlier. It says disaster report review 2020's best PS2 game. Maybe they're saying like it plays and feels like a PS2 game in a lot of ways. I really don't know. That's I'm telling you, Mark. You've put us on an interesting little bread trail here. Uh, but he continues on while he's saying that that you know it has too many crafting options that can be overwhelming. The Outer Worlds for me offered just enough to keep me interested in what I had and what I found without creating too much chaos in my choice of weapons or gear. The missions and story I found to be fun and look forward to playing the DLC content. In terms of dialogue options and what I could imagine a fantasy future of the world to become can be I become hooked. I became hooked. There are plenty of games better than this one, but it's definitely a game I took my time playing and enjoying this year that I would have gave it my game of the year. The games I played from this year will not be played. Uh, the games I played from this year will not be played until the end of this month into February to March on long daily grinds and my time off from work. So I'll be getting back to you guys on games like Ghost, The Last of Us 2, more of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Cyberpunk, the new Call of Duty, Avengers, and even Star Wars Squadrons. How wild would it be if Ghost of Tsushima is my game of the year next year? <laughs> like not- you go back and play and you're like, well, I was wrong about that. <laughs> I wasn't. Well, hold on. I shouldn't say wrong. I was gonna say what? Yeah. I didn't say I hated the game. I said I just. But what I mean is, like, you, right now you're not even really thinking about it in the same way because you never, you never got that connection with the game that many are probably looking. And at. That here. happened with Near Automata. Did. So Automata Automata. Well, it was. And it. I know you went back to Days Gone, but you still didn't finish it. Yeah. Or did you? Well, I mean, it? technically, I played Days Gone. Then um, you stopped. I stopped very early on. Then I replayed Days Gone, and I got to where uh, Boomer is sick. Oh, you're still not very far. What? Dude, that's a long game. What? Well, hold on. Okay, no. Okay, I say this. I I took Boomer to the other city. That's good. And they had to amputate something. I that's think. still maybe at max. At max halfway through the game, if I had to really say, I'd say like two fifths through Why the game. Why are games so long nowadays? That's twenty hours, I think, into that game. <laughs> but and, the other thing is, that the opening of that game is so long. But also, isn't that like? Isn't I think I remember you telling me that I'm very close to that game breaking loose. Oh, so yes, you're about to be where that game gets wild See, and so much bigger. That's something that uh, I've been looking forward to. And I know yeah. that's the same case for Ghost once you get off the first island, right? Yes, the first island seems massive. 
And because you're not quite at that point where the story's pulling you in, yeah. you're at that thing where it's like, this is a big world and there's stuff to do, but I don't care about all the characters enough yet. Right. And that is, I find it interesting that a couple of PlayStation games had that same problem going into where I think it's really hard in games that are completely open to set up worlds because you want people to be able to play in an open way, but you're trying to find a way to engage them with all these characters. But since the character can go, or since the player themselves can go run around and screw around to do something that's completely different, and that's part of what they wanted to do, giving them that option a little too early means that you're also taking it longer for them to ever find a connection with these characters. Definitely characters like Deacon, who's at, at the beginning of the game, he's pretty unlikable. You don't really, you're like, what is this guy's problem? Yeah. But as you keep playing, you have a change of heart. And Ghost, I don't. It, it does this thing of where you kind of get an idea of Jen, but you don't know enough about him until you continue on to the first big moment. Then the game is like, I know what's going on here. Let's keep pushing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be cool seeing you come back to games that you start playing on PS5. Cool thing is, a lot of the games you're going to play on PS5 are going to run way better. So I, you're that's gonna, why I'm waiting. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to be experiencing Ghost in a way that many people wish they could have. Yeah, for the first time, Yeah, specifically. Uh, we didn't hit Awesome Dave's uh, first answer up the uh, first time around, so we'll hit his Game of the Year up. He says, even though this is a PlayStation podcast... I would have to say that my game of the year would actually be Animal Crossing New Horizons. I got it at launch, and it was very therapeutic during the first few months of being at home in isolation. The first few weeks and months of working remotely and having no daycare for our toddler (laughs) was hard, so having my island to escape to for my wife and myself was very important. Between my wife, my oldest son, and myself, we have a combined playtime of about 600 hours. In one year. That's awesome. That is. That is a lot of time. Even if we break that evenly between the three of you, 200 hours each is impressive. Yeah, 600 hours is uh, twenty-five. Is, is almost a month of playtime. So that's, that is pretty redonkulous. You know, and hey, we may be a PlayStation podcast. I don't, but I, I want to hear everybody's game of the year. I don't care if it's certainly. a Super Nintendo game. Yeah, we don't care what it is. Um, and that's... You know, there were some people who, and I remember, clearly I'm one of those people. I have no interest in Animal Crossing. But I think you would be, I think you would be crazy, if I'm really being honest. You you would be minimizing the impact and the timing and everything about Animal Crossing. Is it a perfect game? No, there's plenty of things. The online multiplayer is really shoddy and doesn't really work very well. But when it is working, it creates a lot of fun times from people I've heard. So... Is it a perfect game? No. Came at the right time. It came at a time where uh, I think everyone needed it. Needed it, And for the, anybody that was willing or interested in playing it, it could be for anybody. My five-year-old loves the game. She steals the Switch from my wife often to play it. My wife plays the game. And she never plays games. So when you think about those things, it's a game for everyone. And it doesn't matter if other games told a better story or looked better or had better, deeper gameplay. For a lot of people, I think that Games as an escape is sometimes the most strongest connection you can come up with in a game. And when you have that, it's it's just what it is. You know, I mean, I love Terraria. Yeah. I absolutely love Terraria. You do, do you know how much of my playtime had nothing to do with fighting anybody and just escaping into the world and building stuff and just having a blast? Probably over half. Probably, yes. And you got to think of how many times I've played that game and restarted with people so that I could show them the wonder of Terraria. And how long me and you spent on that world we had. Because that yeah. has to have been like... Easily over 100 hours. Oh, that, you know what's more crazy? First world. That was our first world. Me and your first world. You're right. All the worlds you had before that. On PS3, I had about 200 hours on one world. 
on Vita, I had about 150 hours on. I one could board. not play that game on any handheld. That oh, it's game is great too, on Vita. It's too granular. I would have thought so too, but it works on Vita. I don't know. I don't get it, but it does. Because like even playing like on my big TV, I'm like. Uh, you have to use the touchpad. Actually, they changed the controls. You used to pinch the touchpad to zoom in and out. Now mm-hmm. you have to like hold. You have to go to start and hold something. It's ah, weird. Ah, no. The, the <laughs> game feels weird now. I don't know. I think it's because of all the update they they've done. But um, yeah. But good answer, and I'm glad that that I'm glad you had that, man. That's that's great, Dave. Go ahead though. Saul. you had somebody else. Yes, uh, B Rock. He says his game of the year was Spider Man Miles Morales. That's interesting. I need to play that. I wondered how many people were going to include these PlayStation launch games because they're so fresh that one of the things I kind of talk about is I try not to include games that I've played too recently because sometimes you need the time to kind of linger on them for me personally. And I know that sometimes I may unfairly give a game because it's too recent in my memory that it's like pushing out other things that were really strong memories uh, or fond memories from other games and strong impressions but I'm glad that you liked the game that much. That's awesome. Because I know that, that he was one of the people that mentioned that he's kind of coming back to playing games that were different yeah. uh, than playing like Call of Duty and, as he called them, the, the bro games. So I'm glad that a, a game that's way outside of that was able to kind of grab you and really pull you. It is a great game. I think it's actually a lot better in a lot of ways than Spider-Man 2018. And it's still... And this sounds so weird. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. I like the game, and I think it's a really good game. And if it's on anybody's list, I completely understand why. Spider-Man has yet to be in a Game of the Year list for me personally because there's always something so far that Insomniac have missed that I think other very similar games have really nailed. But I always have this feeling with each game, they're right on the cusp of getting it. And if and if every game can make that little step forward at least, yeah. then they're continuing to make a better product. I think that... I'm excited for you to play Miles because I'm fairly positive that since we both had very similar problems with that game well, and with the minor Spider-Man. problems yeah, with 2018, then I'm excited to see what you think about what they've solved, if there's any new issues they brought up. That'll be a cool conversation to have, not even on the podcast. I mean, that's probably something because we've, you know, Chris and I have already done our right. thing. That then it's going to be more of a personal conversation just to see where you land because – it's a series that I think has a ton of potential. It does. And if, they've done a lot with it early on. If anything, I think Spider-Man 2 will be the... The real test. Probably the peak, yeah. yeah. It'll, or hopefully so. So we get a couple more and we'll go to Ayers. Um, Constantly Kenny with, 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 a, with a real banger. Half-Life Alex. I want to play this so bad. I do too. I, I don't have the means to play it. Uh, I have been super, super torn about getting an HTC Vive, even the Oculus, because you can play it on Oculus. But I'm pretty sure to play that game, I'm going to have to update my PC graphic card. Well, the and good, I just don't know if I want to put that much money into playing a single game, because I don't game on PC often enough. And good, when I do, my current setup is fine. The good news about that is that all of the new graphics cards have come out, so you could get you a... Um, oh yeah, they're fairly cheap too. I mean, I, I wouldn't need to do much. Well, it's that, just regardless of what happens, I'm going to be spending at bare minimum 300 bucks to play this game on top of the cost for the VR, and then the and then the actual game. It'll be a grand. Yeah, that's what I mean. It'll I don't. Be, as much as I'm excited to play it, I don't want to spend a thousand dollars to play a single game. If I was you, I would just grab a pre-built. 
But the thing is, is that most of my build now, outside of my graphics card, is brand new. It's, it's, oh, it's about a year old. I forgot you upgraded your RAM and stuff. Yeah, I mean, everything. I have a new motherboard, new RAM. The only thing I kept of my original build was my um, R390X, which is... That's, that's really outdated. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's like a almost eight-year-old AMD chip. Oh, uh, graphics chip, you mean? Because even then... Wait, never, I, I'm thinking 8350. I forgot you did upgrade no, from yeah, No, yeah, no, I've got a Ryzen. Yeah, it's a yeah. Ryzen. I've got a Ryzen 7, I don't remember the number. Damn. But, yeah, uh, yeah, Kenny, that's awesome. I'm so glad you got to play that. And I am not surprised at all from whenever the it was included in the Game of the Year list for, I'm pretty sure it was included in the Game of the Year, right, for Game Awards? I know it was Best Direction, I think. It, it was, was Best VR. In there. But regardless. Because they had a VR uh, section. They did, but th- th- that game looks so good. And I'm glad to see them doing something with Half-Life. I'm I'm jealous. But in a in a good way. Like not, I'm not mad at you. Good for you. <laughs> and he's one of our patrons. Thanks, Kenny. Uh, he says, uh, let's see, going back over to Facebook. I'm going to grab a couple more over there. Going back to what we talked about, about how it can be outside of this year, Danny Candyman Villiobos, one of our other patrons, he says, my game of the year from what I've played is a tie between Neo 2 and Hades. However, out of the games I've actually played this year, Yakuza 0 probably takes the cake for me. Another Yakuza another, Zero like, is like 2016. Yeah, I was like another older game, but then it's shining through this. I think that's what's most interesting is that when you open the boundaries of game of the year and you make it to be what game you play that you love the most that year, regardless of release date, it shows you how sometimes some games stand a really long test of time. Sure, and that they can surprise you way after they came out. Yeah, and it, and it goes to show that if it's surprising you now. Imagine how surprising it was to people who played it when it originally came out. Uh, you know, I got to say, Danny, I, hit, hit me up with what it was about Yakuza 0 that ended up pulling you in because that's the game I mentioned being something that I had a really hard time getting into it. I played an hour of it, or probably about two hours of it, and in comparison to the two hours that I'd put into Yakuza Kiwami, it, it never quite gripped me, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was where I was at at that particular time, if I was in a similar place like I mentioned earlier in the show about not knowing what to play. I do think that that's right. I didn't know what I wanted to play, and I had that sitting on my shelf, still sealed from when I bought it last Black Friday. Right. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it. And it just didn't grip me. The weird thing is that's exactly what I did with Kiwami. I don't think I was in exactly the same headspace, but I was in a I-don't-know-what-to-play but Yakuza Kiwami was free on PS Plus, and I'd had it for a while, so I downloaded it and tried it, and it gripped me. So I want to hear what it is so that maybe you maybe talking to someone about it who's a little more familiar without spoiling it will give me some kind of a pull into wanting to go back and play it. But I'm glad that you had that. Um, this one's going to be fun. Chris Figs, I think, is going to be one of our last ones. Um, I'll do one off of here, and then... I'll hit one off Discord. One off Discord. That sounds like a good thing. So... Chris Figg says Persona 5 Royal, which I knew was going to be somewhere in this. I'm glad that he brought it in. Was my game of the year, generation, and top three of all time. Everything else well, I thought was mediocre at game. best outside of Immortals, Phoenix Rising, which just came out, and Cyberpunk also just came out. So they're games that I think a lot of people are not going to have completely touched on, but yeah. It sounds to me like this game is pretty much the definitive version of Persona 5. It's definitely there's more content, but it's more apparently the way better. that you go through it is just yeah. It's I've like, heard that from a lot of people. 
it, it feels like they said the original game is still amazing, but playing it in five, even though there's new content and technically more something, I don't know if it's the way that the gameplay's done, or maybe if they're talking about from a platinum standpoint, but I hear a lot of people say that it's technically a longer game, but you're going to get more enjoyment out of it. I think I, there's some refinements to the combat. See, that's something with me with persona that I love personas like the series so much, but I don't have the time to sit down and play it on console. That's why persona four golden was amazing. And persona three on PSP was amazing. Because I didn't have to like sit in one spot. I could take it anywhere with me. I could play in bed. I could play That's on the couch. True. So I, I, I'm one of those people that like I that it'd be cool if it came out on Switch in some form or fashion. I doubt it ever would. Um, or if Sony would make a new handheld. Because at that point, anything's possible. Uh, last one up is Rude Days over on Discord, and he says probably in two days it'll be Cyberpunk. But for right now, I'll say Ori and the Will of the Wisp with Final Fantasy VII as a close second. Good list. Good two good quality games. Will of the Wisp, I think, got out of a lot of people's conversations. And it's it's a game I didn't play, so I'm just kind of looking at what I heard a lot of people talk about. Is I think the game got very similar to Cyberpunk. It can be a great game, but it was buried in poor performance and I don't know that was since, it? Yeah, I don't know if it was buggy, but I know that the game didn't run very well. I don't think it was very well optimized when it finally released. I don't think I heard that at all. Yeah. That was a big talk around the thing where when talking about the game much like cyberpunk very seldom was it people talking about the actual content of the game mostly it was talking about how the game is unplayable or just not fun because of how unplayable it how it performed even if you did play it so i've heard a lot of people come back to it much later and it kind of got to that point great training anyway it kind of got to that point where i think a lot of people viewed it differently coming back to it when it's all been patched to run well yeah so and Ori was one of the games too that uh, benefited from the 120 frames per second patch on uh, Series X. Really? Yeah, you can play that game in 120 frames per second, and it was already 60. Yeah, because it was designed around that. But yeah, that's 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 that's, cross, that's awesome. I'm gonna try that out on PC Games Pass um, if I ever decide to reactivate it. I keep getting emails for like three months for a dollar again, so I'm like, <laughs> I might as well. You know, yeah. Skyrim. Well, I already have Skyrim on PC that's modded too. But anyways, get what is your game of the year? Game of the year is a rough conversation. Oh, dear. Well, I think we've kind of talked about it in the sense that this year ended up being a situation where there's a lot of games I've not played. I don't necessarily even know why. I mean, me too. We're both in that same exact weird boat. And I think you've played even less than I have, and I feel like this year I've played less than I normally would. Yeah, like I think I have more. I probably have more playtime total in my same 10 games than you do in new games, but you have way more new games played than me. That seems like a fair way to work. Yeah, because, like, I still get, like, I still guarantee, like, the amount of Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 and Dark Souls Remastered. Uh, did Dark Souls Remastered come out this year? Or was that May of last year? That was last year. Okay. But, uh... It may have came to Switch this year. Stuff like that, so I think that's what it was. But stuff like Slay the Spire on Switch. Yeah. I, I, I think I probably put 100 hours in that game. Well, see, there was a lot of games that I think a lot of people were very excited for. And I remember, and this just to me goes to show that I don't think that game had much staying power. A lot of people were hyping up Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. And I kept looking at it and saying, it's just something about it doesn't look right. Oh, so that's your game of the year? No. (laughs) And I never even got around to playing it. And weirdly enough, I don't feel like I hear anybody talking about it. Definitely no one's talking about it now. I haven't heard it. I've heard no one talk about it in anything. And I think that goes to show that while maybe not being a terrible game, a lot of what drove people to be excited for it was the fact that it was Dragon Ball Z. 
or you know dragon ball whatever you want to say as an overarching thing i think people are just worn out of dragon ball z fighting games even though this has tried to market itself as an rpg when you really knew at hand what it really was like maybe, it's just Goku story, but fight, it's it's a fighting game. But Goku story mode is all it is. Yeah, like maybe it's more of a yeah. open world game but and the, RPG than the other ones. But at the end of the day, it's that's still, what Z, that's what Zeno um, verse was. Yeah, same thing. Like it was a little bit more open. You could fly around and stuff in some areas. And I remember people being like, "You got to play it it's so great. It's big. It's like a." So it wasn't quite, but people were like, oh, it's not your normal Dragon Ball game. But when I started playing, I was it like, was. <laughs> this is very similar. Yeah. To and, you. <laughs> and I think, honestly, just for us in general, like, you got to understand, ever since, uh, what was the first series called? Was it Budokai or was it? Budokai. Okay, yeah. Budokai it, was the first Dragon Ball Z big, big game. There was some on PlayStation 1, yeah. like Ultimate Battle 22, um, and there was a one that came out in Japan exclusively that I ended up playing a version of here. And I cannot. It was a GT fighting game, and it had Kid Goku I, on the I cover. I know what that is. Yeah, I think I know what that but is. But there was it. a couple. But Budokai was when it hit big time. And then it was Budokai, then Tenkaichi, and then they came out with Budokai Tenkaichi, mm-hmm. like as a combination thing. And I, I, I played those since they launched. Well, and I think that those were really impressive when they came out with they the landscape around them. And then they didn't change enough as gaming changed a bunch, right? Because I remember like when Dragon Ball Z, Budokai, Tenkaichi, Not Another Road came out on PSP, I could not believe that you could play a game of that quality on PSP. You know what? There's a similar Dragon Ball Z game like that, and it was Super Sonic Warriors on the DS. Yeah. That was super well done. Well, see, and like... But also I, a fighting game. This comes to the weird thing. The only game that in the long run, I think, has been felt at least more like an RPG, even though in the long run it's still not quite there. Boost Fury. I think that the whole Legacy of Goku series, which involved Legacy of Goku 1, 2, and then Boo's Fury, right. I think that has been the epitome yeah. of Dragon Ball gameplay. And I've been waiting for that ever since. And then them talking about a Dragon Ball RPG before it ever was shown, I was like, is this the moment that we finally get that in 3D form? And it wasn't. And it wasn't. So, <laughs> To me, at least. So... Yeah, that was one. So I think, you know, for me, I was I want to give some quick shout-outs and quick reasons why. And I think that – I know this is going to be a weird conversation because the reality is, is that there's a lot of games that all of us, listeners included, did not play, like I said earlier. So this is more of our best approximation of what we played. There was a lot of games this year that really surprised me and I really enjoyed. But they're not quite to the level that I look at them and think, is that game of the year? No. Yeah, like it, that's – to me personally – for like a subjective game of the year award has to be something I have to spend time with something I didn't get exactly like tired of something. I just kind of tapered myself off on, uh, and something that I think is a quality enough to, for me to recommend somebody else to play because I don't just recommend people games to play. Like if you ask me, should I play this day days gone? I'll tell you, go look at a video or something of it because I haven't played enough of it to recommend it. Same goes for ghost. You know, like I can tell there's quality in these games for sure, sure. but like I can't, I don't have enough input to give you, to recommend something on. Um, Another thing that I think comes into this is that there's been a lot of remakes and it's kind of hard to want to include all those. Like I have absolutely loved, and I knew I would, I've absolutely loved demon souls and coming back to it, but it kind of feels weird if I'm being honest. And I think I had the same personal dilemma with the shadow of the Colossus remake and that you get this feeling of like, how exactly do I feel about a game I've already played? And even though I'm replaying it in much more beautiful form, it's not, it's not new. Yeah. I don't feel like even though there's great work done and demon souls is a huge step up from what it was. 
And that's no hit on From Software or the original Jap- uh, Japan studio that helped on that. It's just gaming has come a long way, and Blue Point are a really great studio. So for me, Demon Souls, I think a lot of other people, if you notice, it wasn't there, despite being a really well received and well sold game. Surprised about that. I think it's because everyone knows it's a known quantity. It's not doing anything new. If anything, it's actually people experiencing something that feels new that's actually older than every other Soulsborne game out there. <laughs> you know? You're so, not, well, almost. King, Kingsfield. Kingsfield. Yeah, I was going to say, don't, don't be disrespecting Kingsfield like that. So. To quickly run off on what those actually are, without spending too much time, Maneater, I genuinely thought was going to be really fun, but I kept having this feeling of like, it's going to end up being a cheap game and not be fun at all. And I, even though I was pissed that I had that, it it crashed on me middle of a save and I had to restart completely. I remember that, yeah. I still ended up loving the game and enjoying it, getting the platinum. It's a great game and it was a surprise. And I'm glad to see that a game of that crazy idea ended up working out and doing well. That's great. Minecraft Dungeons, another game that I remember seeing and thinking, I really hope that's good. And even up to coming out, I had that excitement, but with that like bit of trepidation, like ah, it's just it's they're going to screw it up somehow. And they did. And just too shallow of a game. I don't. I don't see. I don't. I think it is too shallow, but not for the price point. So it's like if it was forty or sixty dollars, yes. But since it was a twenty dollars game, game, I, I think that it did a really good job. Twenty five for me. Do you remember like they only had the day one edition that you could buy and it was five dollars more? No, you could go. It was ten dollars more. And it was th- it was twenty dollars, and you could go to it. But the way they marketed it, you made it seem like that was the only version you could buy. And I because I out. bought it the day later, the normal version. <laughs> See, we um, that goes into something Chris said. We didn't get to it, but he said he wanted the store to be better. Yeah. Oh, me too, Chris. Trust me. <laughs> I think I played 20 hours of that game, and oh, I thought it was fun. Dungeons? Yeah. See, I played probably about 50 hours Good platinuming gosh. it myself and helping other people platinum it. And I got to that point of I was surprised at the level of stuff that you could actually do in it for it to be a $20 game. I didn't expect to have builds that could do really crazy stuff, and yet that's where we ended up. I've got videos on my uh phone that I took to send to people who were playing it alongside me because I had a build that was set up to where I could literally run so fast that I could not see where I was going. Like the that camera sounds, was moving so quick that on certain levels, I'm like, this is dangerous because there's, you can fall off the ledge, you can go in the lava. So it was fun. And whenever you were going, it's like you start off already moving quick. Then you get one kill and you go a little bit quicker. And then three kills in, you're done. You, you're moving so quick. Uh, so I was really surprised by that game. The last one I'm going to save is actually one that I, is skirting up against the game of the year territory. So I'm going to save it. But Kingdoms of Amalur, coming back around, I struggled putting that on this even honorable mentions list because it's a little-known game that's coming back around, but I really enjoyed it. Crash 4 was a huge surprise to me. I was so worried, and I think everybody who listens to the show knows that every time they'd show Crash 4, I'm like, I was worried that it looked like it was trying too hard to just be the previous three games to try and convince people. Like, hey, you were making a Crash 4, and the reason we're calling it Crash 4 is because it's more like the other three. Yeah. And lo and behold, they did it. They actually pulled off a game that was really great. A little long, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because I think that they were able to more or less justify their $60 price point for people who enjoyed those types of games. Um, Astro's Playroom, I'm telling you, the entire time I was playing it, I was like, how is this almost feeling like this could be a game of the year for me? Uh, Really great game. I'm glad it was free, and I'm glad everyone gets to experience it if they choose to. Darksiders Genesis was a really great 
evolution of a series I've already loved for so long. And just another example of them changing up play styles, which they've always done with every game and it being successful. Great to see that. I would actually like to see more Darksiders Genesis if it did well enough to do so. I think Air, uh, Airship Syndicate, I'm pretty sure, is a Texas studio, which means that cost of living is pretty cheap. And overall, that would mean that development is fairly cheap. So maybe we get more that goes even further. Bug Snacks. Bug Snacks is up here. <laughs> really good story. Really surprising twist. For as goofy as it is, I actually think it touched on some pretty real adult things like depression and feelings of like you're worthless in a group, like, you know, your group effort that you're not actually able to do things for yourself and trying to cope with that and deal with that and feeling like a burden to other people. Really surprising that that game had that. Sounds like my game of the year. And it, it's really it. good. And then the, the gameplay, as I've mentioned recently, is just so open-ended. And you have so many options to catch things how you choose. That I, w- I had caught things, talked to people, realized that they caught them in completely different ways, and then went and looked up videos. And I'd see like five to ten different ways to catch anything. And it was like, huh, I didn't think of that. But it totally works. I'm excited to play that game. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it from the openness of how you do stuff. Like, you know, everybody, and I... I guess it exists, but everybody talks about Breath of the Wild being so fun because it's just you play it how you want to play it. Right. That's basically what Bucks Next is. And I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it then. But just not on that. It's like little hubs. It's still, it's if I could tackle little hubs in any way. Yeah. I think you'll have a good time with it. Uh, so that was one of my last ones. And when it gets into talking about real ga- game of the year, there are three games that immediately come to mind. Those games are Ghost of Tsushima. Really solid effort, and I think this is probably the best first entry of an IP that Sucker Punch have ever done. I know you're not that far in it, mm-hmm. and I do agree that it does have a little bit of a problem of gripping you. Yeah. And I think the reason that is is because, again, you're given so much, and since the game is so open and willing to let you go do stuff, unlike Infamous, which is also open world but in a more sandboxy way, I think that it worked out to grip you in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, but I think this is a really strong first entry for them. And the great thing about Sucker Punch is they are one of the only developers I can think of who have 100% never had a sophomore slump, which is normally like the second game, even if it's good, may not be as good as the first game. Naughty Dog do that often, but clearly The Last of Us 2 not being an overwhelming success for everybody does show that some people would consider them to have had the sophomore slump. But Sly Cooper... Fantastic series, and the second game is probably arguably the best game. The best, same thing with Infamous, in the whole right? Game. Infamous two, best best in the whole series. So my expectations for Ghost of Tsushima two are, if there is another one, I actually am of the thought that there doesn't need to be another one. But if there is another one, <laughs> welcome to my Last of Us. <laughs> yeah, I opinion. know it's a common argument. So in that, if there is another one, my expectations are sky high. Um, so we'll see what they end up doing. There's that. The Last of Us two. Both of these games that Saul didn't play, so it's very weird to have like to talk about. Yeah, I know, um, I know, I know a fair bit about one. I don't know nothing about. Yeah, the other. something like you, you. I don't, it's so weird because you know things about The Last of Us, but not from actual firsthand experience. Well, but then you know things about Ghost of Tsushima from firsthand experience, but not the deeper things. I think that's. I, I've said this before. I think that's a really weird, like sign that the community didn't care about spoiling one game out in the open. And no matter sending, no matter how small the the section of that community was, well, yeah. by by sending uh, like people messages on Reddit and stuff like that, doing spo- like spoiler threads, 
and doing it like they did with me where they disguised the comment with it and they peppered in spoilers. Um, but then you have like ghost where that didn't happen to that degree. It's the same. It, it, it's almost like that just shows you how mad people were. albeit the, like the dumbest way to like act. Well, it's also, it's the weight of expectation. Whereas the last of us two was always the follow up to a really great game that many people saw. So the expectation and then the, the worry of not meeting that expectation and that's, creates this kind of vitriol. Whereas ghost of Tsushima was a unknown product. It, no, you could see it and you can be excited about it, but you don't know what it is. Whereas playing the last of us one, you have an idea of what the last of us two should at least kind of be. Well, and my thing was, is that there is no, there's no anger at the fact that this game exists. I agree that I don't really wish that there was this game. Like I think that that one did it perfect. And I think that's where it comes in to be. The problem for me is that one hit the nail so hard on its head that the last of us two just couldn't do it as well. And therefore inherently it's more disappointing and you don't like, like I know the story beats of that game to a fair enough degree that I have made the opinion that no matter what happens and how it happens at the end, which I know, but just the, the beginning of the game, what happens, you know, two and a half hours in is something that I wish didn't happen. I think that they could have done something so much more. It's like the Star Wars uh, uh, sequels, um, the new ones. It's like they could have done that in such a better way that it's just really disappointing that they did it the way they did it. Sure. And to me, that's that's just one of those things of like, that's why I haven't played it yet. I purchased it. I got it on sale um, for 30 or 40 I think, 40 $39. Also curious remember. to see where you land on that. Just also I'm waiting on PS5 Random curiosity. Too. The game, I don't even think it'll patch because it doesn't have like 60 frames per second or anything, but because the PS5 was already coming, the game naturally, when you're playing in backwards compatibility, knows you're playing on PS5 and gives you the resistance stuff in the triggers. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. Um, I think the way that I, I think I got a good, uh, you know, a good example of like you know if you're going to try and pull like a little saying into this is i think for people who are kind of like that is like the last of us was naughty dog building a house and at the very end it was the final nail on putting the last piece of siding up for the house to just be complete and be beautiful and perfect and livable and everything you wanted and then suddenly if if you don't like the direction that the last of us two took and you feel like it feels like someone came up with a two by four just randomly on your house and just swung a hammer and hit a nail. Yeah. And now suddenly your beautiful house just has a random two by four that's, at that, an angle dangling on the floor and halfway on the house. And you're just like, why the hell was that necessary? That's kind of what it is. It's almost like I feel I've said this a hundred times that the, that, that the story for that game due to characters is where it's most important. And I think that, the, the, aside from all of that, there's a Nike Jakey video on saying that Naughty Dog's uh, game design is outdated. I suggest you go watch that video to get somewhat of my opinion because he said everything in a way and in, in, in such a long form conversation that I don't have time to do on this show. But it's essentially the same. It's like technically, you know, there's nothing super special about the gameplay. It's stuff we've seen before. There's new. There's there's more indefiniteness to it. Actually, and, and, and I'll say and, I love the gameplay and, and the quality of it is is high. But it's something we've seen before. This, the actual story at hand is also something we've seen before in both games. It's it's revenge on one, and then you know, kind of there's a zombie outbreak, and there's a curable person, and I got to escort that curable person over here. Very two very cliche things, 
But the way it's told and executed is done so well in the first one that they didn't live up, to my opinion, to that same storytelling in the second one. Therefore, weight it of was, expectation. It was yeah the yeah. the ex, and the, that weight was two te- two elephants in the back of a Tacoma because it was heavy. <laughs> and it, let me tell you, um, it hit me in the back of the head like that hammer did. So so last game for me is a game that I know you at least started. I don't I don't know if I did. I don't know what this is. Mortal Shell. Oh yeah. I forgot about Mortal Shell. So Shit. the reason I even brought up Demon Souls is that Demon Souls is clearly probably the best Souls like game to have come out this year. Uh but one, I think, one of two. <laughs> yeah, I must say I think that there is a really strong effort on part of the Mortal Shell developer, and I'm gonna be remiss if I don't actually go and remember their name. Um I know it. Team Chair. Cold Symmetry. It was their first game, and I think that this is the closest in a 3D manner. I do actually think that in a lot of ways, Hollow Knight is the closest 2D adaptation with a very close following of Death's Gambit. I think both of those games do a very good job of taking the Soulsborne formula and putting it in 2D. A uh, much better job, in my personal opinion, than Salt and Sanctuary did. Uh, I don't, I don't hate Salt and Sanctuary. I do. I just felt like it. I don't know. It looks like a flash game. At the time, it was novel because it was a two D. But over, over game. time, it just hasn't held up like the rest of them. Has. But yeah, I think when you end up comparing it against some of the ones that have come, it just yeah, it doesn't hold up. Yeah. But Mortal Shell, I think I've been a big proponent of a couple of games. Like, you know, I was I was disappointed sadly by the Surge, but I actually really enjoyed. Uh, Lords of the Fallen, and there's been plenty of other games. I actually had a lot of interest, even though I didn't get to play it, in uh, Immortal Unchained, like I talked about, yeah. that first-person shooter game. I did play the... Um, which, it was unique because of the shooting, like we talked about with um, From the Ashes. Um, Remnant. Remnant, From the Ashes, yeah. I, I That game was really cool, and I like what they did there, and I think that this generation has seen the idea of a Soulsborne being poked and prodded and moved around in a ton of fun ways, and I'm glad that's happening. But I think the only one that's not been made by FromSoft that I think just absolutely nails everything about what you want from that game, atmosphere, and not in a way that necessarily feels like it's aping it. It feels like it's inspired by it, but it's still fresh and original. It does. And Mortal Shell, I think, was just absolutely a killer game. I did not stop playing that game at all. Until I platinumed it. Yeah. And I have never done that with a Soulsborne game. And I'll tell you right now. And well, it's not like it was easier. I guess it was because I didn't have to play it eight times. But I had to play true. Here's a good example. You had to play it four, didn't you? Or what? Five? Two? Three? Oh. I don't know. Two, I think it's actually all it was. Because you have to play without. And I, I mixed two playthroughs together. Oh, the yeah. uh, Onyx or whatever playthrough and then the Shellless run. But I think that that's what's funny. If I'm not mistaken, I don't actually think there's a Soulsborne, a Souls game or even Bloodborne in that particular case from from software where you have to run through the whole game with basically not getting hit. In terms of a trophy? Yeah. No. And yet here's this game telling me that you've got to beat the entire game without get you know, with no shell on. It's crazy that <laughs> that game and Titan Souls did that. Yeah. Titan, Titan Souls, Souls did, did that. it. So that I think that there was three total. There was a no roll, there was a one hit kill. And then not getting hit. And then not getting hit. Yeah, that game was fun to platform. See, that's what. But that, it's funny that I think that speaks a lot to Mortal Shell in that, even though in a lot of ways it's an objectively more challenging one, even if the other one's a longer, you know, it's like a longer platinum to right. get Bloodborne or Dark Souls Three or Demon Souls because you've got to play through so many times. This is actually an objectively harder thing to do. Yeah, it requires more patience and more skill. So, but yeah, I really love Mortal Shell, 
And as crazy as it is, I'm really torn because I think all three games do very interesting things. I completely understand people's arguments for The Last of Us 2, and I don't even think it's a perfect game. But much like Sean said, there's something about the game that ends up being engrossing for whatever reason. And you play through it and you're like, I've just got to go through it and figure out what's going on like story-wise. How does this play out? And it does feel, regardless of whether it, it matters, it does feel the most big budget I've ever seen a game feel. Cyberpunk, I, I thought, was going to end up rivaling that from what we were shown. But we always knew that was PC. And I think on PC, for a lot of ways, it does still feel very big it budget. It looks like it. But, but it looks hard to run, too. Yeah, but PC is different than console. And even though PS5, thankfully, looks pretty good. It's like my wife. She asked me if I'm getting it on PC. I said, no, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, it's like you, you have to have a pretty solid I, machine. I was like, I'll, I'll take $2,000. Google Stadia. Go Google it. Stadia actually ends up running that game very well. And it runs it off PC specs. The only thing it doesn't have right now is ray tracing, but they're going to be adding it in. I'm not. I don't trust that. That's really interesting. And I want to see how that plays out. But right now, if you don't have a PC or a PS5 or an Xbox Series X... Stadia is actually your best bet to play the game stably and pretty solid looking wise because you can run it at 4K. <laughs> so, so Last of Us Two is yours. Or the Last of Us Two is not mine. As close as it is, I'm gonna go ahead and swing and give it to what I really think in my gut deserves it. I know what it is, and it's Mortal, Mortal Shell. Shell. Yeah, I, which is I absolutely surprising. love that game. See, I love that game too. I just I never finished it. I never even got far enough into it. I think it's just because I did not. At that particular like emotion in my life, I didn't have the patience to learn a new, slower combat, or not yes. even slower. It is technically fast if you want it to be, but at the if same time, you play time, with no shell, boy, you fast as hell. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I I could see that, and see for you, for me, my list is a lot smaller. I figured it would be like a lot because obviously I'm not going to give it away to a game I haven't played extensively. Um, so. Which Six. makes your answer so curious to me because I don't even have a. I only have two. There's only Ooh. two games for me this year um, that, that have just that. I'm not saying that these are the best or that these aren't just the two good games that I played because I could say Beyond Light and Destiny was fun expansion. And I think it's worth a mention and stuff like that. Yeah. But realistically, for games that I have spent over 40 hours on, I think that it comes down to two. And since we made that addendum in the beginning, it was going to be one. But Slay the Spire. Of course, I started it on Switch this year. I think it came out on Switch this year. If it didn't, I bought it on Switch this year. And like I well, said, if it came out on Switch this year, then I'm gonna give it. You know, I'm gonna give it the run. I think it's worth it. Go it, ahead, though. It's so good. It it is one of those games that I have on my laptop. I have on my computer at home. I have on my phone. If I had a Switch, it'd still be on my Switch. Um, if it went on sale on PS4, I'd have it on PS4. It is such a good game and so addicting. And the gameplay loop is better. To me, than games like um, Dead Cells, it's better to me than games like Diablo. It's just there. It, enter the Gungeon. The gameplay loop in this game is addicting. So I had to give a shout out to that because honestly, in my mind, there's still 2019 on the Switch. Yeah. Okay. And PlayStation and Xbox. Um, there's still this game, and this game could fail. I'll give you like give me give one guess as to what this game would be for me. And this game did release this year. It absolutely released this year. Boy, that's so hard. I don't know. Give me a second. Huh. Really, I don't know. I'm at a loss. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Okay. 
Now that game, and I think I think honestly, it's the. Oh, it's, I didn't even bring that up in honorable mentions. That's a great game. Yeah. I'm, I didn't mean to do it like that. <laughs> so for me, I talked so much shit about that game because of the way it was marketed. It was marketed very poorly, but I am actually grateful for that because here is and, and if you if you're not familiar with what I said originally, I said that this game. A, should not have taken this long to come out, which is I still agree and will say to this day. But B, I said that Final Fantasy VII should not be extended in terms of length for no real good reasons. And I told, and I made out a list. And I said to them, I'm like, filler content or side quest or new character introductions that are just going to be side characters for the first little bit. Like, the, di- the first disc should not be 40 hours. Sure. And I stick by that. That's not what this game is because they hit you with the whammy. And if you haven't played yet, I'm not going to spoil you, but it's not the same game. And honestly, the ending of Final Fantasy seven remake and crisis core to me are two of the best endings of Final Fantasy games ever because of the same reason, really. Um, but it is one of those Nomura like middle fingers, like of like, you didn't expect this. And now you left the game with a hundred bajillion questions that you didn't even have context for asking when you went in, but it worked. It worked. And it <laughs> yeah. works really, really, really well. Honestly, I, I played that game. I wasn't even going to get it on launch. I didn't even get it on launch day. I got it like a week after launch. And cause I had nothing going on and I had the weekend off. And I was just like, I'm gonna play this game over the weekend. And then a certain person shows up in a scene he is not present for because you don't know nothing of him. And then you realize that this game is not a remake of the first game. It is a sequel. and Or it's, it's, a, it's in a separate universe. Something, something. is going on. So yeah. We don't know what, but it is not the same game. And for that, I thought was really, really well done because that's, that it would be the only other reason to do this the way they did. I don't agree that... You, you make this game and then you make it 40 hours to pad out till the remake part two comes out. Uh, and you're doing it just until you leave Midgar. I think they did it in the only way they did. And I think that's the only way to do it. It's so original to add this completely brand new story. The, like the, and I, nobody anticipated this is the craziest. Nobody. Thing. Anticip- we all wondered like, how are, when are they going to stop? What's going to be the point? How do they get to 40 hours? And you have all these questions right. and nobody ever once was like, this how do you turn four hours into 40 hours how do you make something 10 times longer and we had that question and we were all angry because it's like we keep seeing these trailers that don't have release dates we've known about this game for like what six years five years we've known about like you know everything about this game but we couldn't play it and it was frustrating to no end and honestly i think by the end i will say it was worth it but there is stuff in that game that I do have a problem with. Some of that stuff I feel like could have been cut out. The whole Hell House fight or whatever. Um, not Hell House. Or are they called Hell House? What, why am I blanking? You're talking about the fight and... and the, the Coliseum thing. That, that, that could have been out completely. I would have been fine with that being gone. Because I didn't feel like that was a fun section to me. I don't like arena style fighting. And especially when it's like the arena from Oblivion where... Oh, I love it. I like, but I like that it's optional. I like the arena on Oblivion just because it's it's... It's comical in the way they do it. Because at first they're like, here's some rats. And then next it's like, here's some like tigers or whatever they were. And then the third one was like, here's some raiders. And then here's like 10 raiders. And here's some bandits. They kept increasing it in very comical ways on purpose. And of course you get a Doring fan at the end, which is the best part. But I didn't like that, 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 that much. And that was like five hours of gameplay that you were forced to go through. That was a long section of the game. 
that I don't think I think the game would have been much paced paced much better if it was gone. But that's that's besides the point. I still really really liked it. That door still is not fixed. I plan on playing it on PS5. <laughs> so. Well, the one update it got was like, nah, screw the door. The door is, man. Still, is still a PS2 door, but or PS1 door to be actually more. It's, it's a blown up PS1 door. But uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that game. Aerith is the best girl. And yeah, and that game was really great. And I actually, I really do feel weird not having mentioned it. I don't know why. And I, I know it feels weird to do that in retrospect and going back. But I mean, I think it deserves to be part of my main discussion. So I have four main ones. I still yeah. think I give it to Mortal Shell for doing more because I don't think I ever had that moment of like, this is still really fun, but this doesn't need to be here, which I do agree. There's a couple of moments in Final Fantasy VII Remake that brush against that. I didn't hate any moment or feel like, oh, I just don't need to be doing this. But there was a couple of times where I was like, it's not really necessary. Right. I or at that, least to, that, to this degree i guess that's the best part way to put the coliseum stuff is it wasn't necessary yeah like um, i think if you had it in the game as optional content it would have been fine it would have been fine yeah uh, or at least to that degree because like you, you've got to go and you've got to do the don corneo thing you've got to go through some of it right. but i don't think it needed to be that long you can cut that and then you can leave all those other parts even if you had it be the hell house is the only fight that you have to do in the coliseum for the reason that you have to do it that'd be fine and yeah. then leave the rest of it plus a new top monster for you to do a side content. That's a way that probably make that work better because it's. I actually love the Colosseums in both Kingdom Hearts One and Kingdom Hearts Two because they're optional content well, that you come back to and later. They, they were fine in that mainly because and Seven tried to do it with have, having a Hell House as the final boss or whatever because it's like, hey, you know, this was an enemy that you encountered three or four times on the way here in the original game. Here it is as a boss, which was okay. But Kingdom Hearts throwing Sephiroth in the Coliseum was like, <laughs> they could have done something so cool. They could have been Sin as the bad guy. How cool would that be for Sin to come down from 10 oh, that as would the be, bad guy in 7 uh, the Coliseum? Just as a, just as a Nomura thing, because he did it with Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, that would be cool. But what do you, uh, what do you reckon the community's take should be? You know, I think if you guys will allow us, I think we're going to take a break from community's take this week. Oh, okay. We've, we've done a lot. We did two this week. We've done all that. I mean, you feel free to shoot at us any games. I know that we put it out a little short notice, and I apologize for that. Thank you for so many of you coming through and talking about it. But we're going to take a break. We're getting towards the end of the year. There's a lot of stuff going on. I don't want to, y'all guys to be thinking about it, and or even myself to be worried and thinking about it when there's holidays coming up. So we're going to take a break this week. We yeah. might actually take a break through the end of the year. I'm going to. I think we said I'm that like because you know we're we're doing the show a little differently as we go into the end of the year because we all have families. Uh, Saul and I both have our own family things that we have to get together, and I have a bunch of stuff going on. So I think it feels good for me to take a break from feeling like I have extra duties throughout the week and having to put that out there. Give you guys a break. I know it's a fun part of the show, and I promise it's not going away. We'll bring it back, but it's the if same you with have news. An, if you have an idea. Send it out to us, and we would love to get a couple in the pocket that come from user-submitted questions. We'd love doing those. So if you come up with anything that you think would be a fun one, shoot it our way, and we'll definitely do it. But for now, let's calm down, take a break, enjoy the holiday times, and just be thankful that we all have each other. I know we're thankful that we still have so many of our listeners, and our listenership yeah. has grown. I, I was so surprised to look at our Spotify wrapped and see that we've grown massively this year. I, I see the numbers, but I think when you see them week to week to week, you don't think about it's, it's how much it actually staggered. increased. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thank you guys so much. And, I mean, I'll, I'll continue to say our goal this year was to get more and more listeners. And at times I felt like maybe we didn't do that, but then looking back at how much we've grown this year, we – over a hundred thousand listens. Yeah, we really did. It's ridiculous. So I continue to say, if you think that anyone else would enjoy this show, 
feel free to just talk about it and put it out there. We yeah. really just enjoy getting new faces in. We've gotten so many new ones in, and they're talking to us like Awesome Dave and Cypher Primus and Kyle Graham. That's, There's so many people who have been reaching out and, and being part of this community. And again, we say it all the time, but it's the best part of the show. So That's one of my favorite things in the world, too, is that when somebody from from out of the group or from, from somewhere else comes in, and then they are immediately talkative like those people, like Awesome Dave, like – Excuse me, Kyle. Rude days. Rude days Rude is another. Days is he hopped into Discord? He was like on fire, and I love that. Uh, yeah. You know, I may not be the most active person in Discord, uh, just because of work. I can't. I cannot have my phone at work. Uh, so that's eleven hours of the day that I don't have my phone, and then I'm not. I'm not one to like immediately get home and just be on my phone constantly. Um, throughout the day like i gotta do dinner and get laundry done and stuff like that and take my shower <laughs> that's why i made that joke to saw completely missed about you being our own internet explorer and i know you're like oh yeah i'm just uh no uh, i got it because i got the internet explorer I means slow but i was yeah. like but i'm an internet explorer about bloodborne <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyways so i do appreciate all you guys coming to discord and hanging out and that of course is in the link description and of course you could find us at triangle Oh, crap. Twitter.com slash triangle SQRD, as well as patreon.com slash nartech, where you can uh, support the channel. And at the end of every quarter, if you pledge $5 throughout the quarter and uh, stuck with us for that while, then you get a custom case that you get to take a pic of. And, of course, you get your name on the end screen. What happened? I think everyone has answered. So thank you. If, if I'm fairly positive, I went through and tried checking. I'm pretty sure everyone has answered what they want their case to be. Uh, uh, one of our patrons had to quit being a patron which is fine we, yeah, we absolutely love don't and we hope he, he is still gets it. don't worry about that if you're worried about not being a patron and whether you're not going to get your case you're going to get your case don't worry about that uh so thank you all for answering i've got some of them done still got to keep going printer went down when i went through some of them i'm trying to ship them all at once if i can to save me a lot of trouble so some of them are done some of them i have to go and get printed again but we will get them out before the end of the year and it'll be kind of a good way for at least our american listeners to get it as kind of a around christmas thing sadly this year seems to have been really rough on our overseas listeners about getting stuff in a reasonable timeline it's yeah, some some pandemic. cases were like two months later and yeah. I, I i had forgotten about it and then someone was like got my case thanks and i was just like Okay. So for me, just to, just a reference to that, I ordered my Retroid, and that came from China. It normally takes 30 days. It took me three months almost. Ew, so, yeah, so I got to go. Got to go do stuff with my, my family. It's part of my wife's birthday. But thank you all for listening. Thank you all. Of course, you can always find us on social media. You can find us at Facebook group, which is Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. Go hop over there. Ask to be uh, joined in, and I'll add you in, uh, or one of our great moderators will. And uh, you can head over to Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Discord, which we always have linked below. And lastly, if you want to support the show with more than just your time, which I promise we are more than you can imagine thankful for, then head over to Patreon.com slash Nartech, where you can get episodes of Midweek Matinee Early, our weekly movie podcast that I do with another group of fine gentlemen. I also do a series of spoiler chats which are beca it's become a once a month series uh, so expect more of those we are going to be doing near automata coming up so if you want to be playing near automata and join us and listening to that discussion having played that after please play do. it after you play it play it please uh so yeah you can get those that content early this being a news show that's so on the cusp but we don't really do this early access and i know that you guys are very thankful for that this doesn't seem like content to be gated and i'm we don't do that right so uh thank you guys so much go check out our spoiler chats that we did for spider-man and Miles Morales, me and Chris. If you want to, that's up for all free listeners now. But we got to get going. So thank you guys. We'll see you next week. See ya.
Thanks to our patrons, Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Bacon Bits, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, Eric McAllister, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, and lastly, Richard Schaefer. Thank you guys so much. And again, if you are wanting to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Thanks. Do it!